It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're finishing our top 10. It's Doug Maurice, it's Nathan Baird, it's Stephen Means. And this project is the 10 most important Buckeyes for the 2023 season. We did numbers 10 through 6, and everybody who just missed the top 10 on a previous podcast. And now we're doing the top five, and we're really going to dig it. This is Nathan did a list of top 20, Stephen did a list of top 20, I did a list of top 20, and we asked our tech subscribers to rank 20. And then we called a top 10 out of that, and now we're in the top five. And number five on this list is, it's hard because we're lumping players and coaches together, and it can be difficult to try to thread the needle on this, because sometimes it's like, well, I don't know, of course that person the job description is so much more important than the slot corner that I'm like, what we, how do we even compare it? So, Nathan, I'm going to ask you first about this guy because he's number five overall, and he was number one on your list, and it's Ryan Day. And why did you make the head coach? Nathan, what are you thinking? How could you possibly, possibly believe the head coach is the most important person for a season? Why was Ryan Day number one for you? Well, number one, like a lot of the outcomes of this reflect directly back on him. Uh, fair or not, but in many ways, fair. You know, he's he's got to find a way to beat Michigan. He's got to, you know, he's got one more opportunity here to, I, I think making the playoff this coming year means a, something. Like you've got to get, I think they need to win the Big Ten again. They need to get back into the Big Ten championship game. But like the... To, to get into the playoff in the last year where there's four teams before it expands to 12, I think that means something for the program. Um, and a lot of these other things that we're talking about, whether it's Brian Hartline, whether it's the job that Jim Knowles is going to do, even though he's made him the head coach of the defense and turned a lot over to him, this is a year we've already seen examples of it where there's some transformation going on, some transition going on in how Ryan Day sees himself in this job. And it's happening at a, a pretty crucial juncture. I'm I'm not of the opinion that if he goes 11-1 and and loses to Michigan, he should lose his job. There are probably texters and listeners right now who disagree with that. Um, but it also would obviously create a narrative that he wants to avoid. So, and on top of all of those things, 
he's got to pick a quarterback. He's got to he's got to pick the right quarterback, and he's got to have that quarterback ready. And I know there's a quarterbacks coach, and they, these guys have individual responsibilities too. But ultimately, that decision and that development is tied to Ryan Day. So because of all of those things, and 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 ultimately making that helping that quarterback live up to the standard that he has set by the previous guys that he has cultivated and picked. Uh, I think it's almost a clear choice for number one for me. So it is interesting because I think you have to decide yourself how much it is it more a negative conversation than a positive conversation, Nathan? Is is it more like how much could he mess this up as the head coach if he doesn't make the right decisions, give the correct motivation, provide the right leadership, create the right culture? Or is it like, oh my gosh, what if Ryan Day becomes someone that people look and say, that's the best coach in college football? Is it is it more the potential downside that, that is factored into a number one ranking here? No, I think the potential upside is, is very real here because um, there's a step for him still to take. Hasn't won a national championship at the time. He played in the national championship. They got their blowers, doors blown off, and there were some other factors going on there at the time. There are significant issues that have to be addressed this season in order for this team, which has some really special weapons and special players, to maximize what it can be this year. And again, if if he turns play calling over to Brian Hartline and that works, and that frees him up to address other things that makes the team better in other ways. If he gets the quarterback decision right, if Kyle or Devin Brown is going to New York and putting up the same, or even if he doesn't go to New York, but puts up the same numbers, essentially, that the, the predecessors have done under Ryan Day, uh, I, I, I think that's another kind of feather in his cap. It's, it's further evidence that he maybe does have some special talents at this and that he can do things with quarterbacks that other people can. I think there's a lot of positive outcomes that go into him being number one. It's it's not all a um, he's teetering on the edge. It's more it's kind of put up a shut up time a little bit. Uh, that's 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 not the right way to say it. But I, I feel like there is a there are ways that this season can go wrong for sure, and even that this offense can go wrong. But he is the one who is paid and is already putting plans in motion to try to get in front of some of those bad outcomes. How about it's elevate or capitulate time? Like you take the next step or you acknowledge that, uh, I don't know. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Steven. Yeah, I'd I'd workshop that a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Live workshop. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk workshop. (laughs) Doug's just going to say random stuff. Yeah, don't put that on a t-shirt quite yet. Until yeah, run that through one of those AI things and see what it tells you. Yeah. No. Some we had a thing the other day. I am not. Are you guys doing AI stuff? Would you am, like no. goof I'm around? No. No. I don't want no. to. There was I'm so I'm in Chicago, which I, I will this has been a couple days now as you guys listen to this. Um on Tuesday night I went to the Cubs game in Chicago because my daughter is a student at Northwestern and it was Northwestern night at Wrigley Field. So we went and sat in the bleachers and we were aware of this because uh, my sister-in-law sent us the screenshot, but for whatever reason, and I don't know the context, during the broadcast, they just sort of zoomed. We weren't the only people on the screen, but they had a pretty tight shot of me and my daughter just standing there. 
And Aww. I kind of had that weird look on my face when I was like Twitter popular for like 24 hours because I had, I have resting pod face, I'm going to call it. That I just, when I'm just standing there sometimes, I look like the angriest person in the world, perhaps because I am the angriest person in the world. And they just showed us on the screen. And, and I got multiple messages from people who were like, did I just see you in the stands at the Cubs game? Just like listeners and readers who were like, they should be that. Like we were just standing there. I don't even know why I said that. Workshop. So anyway, welcome back to Buckeye Talk Workshop where Doug says random stuff and Stephen and Nathan shake their heads. Stephen, you had Ryan Day 13th. And again, this is why I I like lists like this because it's not like, oh, does Stephen think that that the head coach doesn't matter that anybody no yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the lens it's lenses of how you view this thing that the three of us talk about and think about every day what's the lens that you use steven that led you to say okay well i know the guy's the head coach but when i think about it he's not top 10 to me i value him more in the off season than i do during the season with how he's starting to approach this job and i think when you go CEO mode, that's how you have to view it. His most significant choices are going to be not on game day. It's picking the right coach. It's picking the quarterback, deciding to not call plays anymore, how they're going about recruiting strategy, NIL stuff, whatever, all of this stuff that it impacts game day because it gets you to game day. But I think on game day, when you're CEO mode, you just have to get out of the way and let the guys that you put in certain positions do the thing that you put them in position to do. And that's all that quarterbacks, coordinators, offensive linemen, tackles, all of that stuff. And so it, because I looked at it from that viewpoint, I put more value in the decisions he's made than I did in him directly, which is how I ended up with him being 13th behind a lot of these decisions. Because if all these decisions don't work out, then I mean, maybe we are having a conversation about hot seat and all that stuff if they lose to Michigan in November, or maybe we're not. Who knows? That's six months from now. But his job is kind of – it's not done, but it's – he's done the most important parts of being a CEO type of coach at this point, and that's hire coaches, build a roster, empower people to do stuff. Now let's go see if it works or not. And it's not like – it's not like with Kyle McCord. If Kyle McCord has a bad game against Wisconsin – or, or Notre Dame or something like that. We're going to be going, how can Kyle McCord be better the next week? I don't know how much we're going to be saying. Ryan Day was walking around the sidelines being the CEO mode coach. How can he do it better or worse the next week? We do have a couple instances the past couple of years where he's made decisions during the season, right, to demote Kerry Combs mm-hmm. in 2021. That was like kind of a big-time thing that a head coach had to do to stick with C.J. Stroud in 2021 after he had a rough game and he had a shoulder thing. And it was like, hey, wow, what are we talking about? People talk about Quinn Ewers, you're nuts. This is my guy, right? To not make a change there is a decision. I do think I had him fourth on my list, which is also where the Texters had him. And the belief that I've stated multiple times that I thought last year the Ohio State-Michigan game was an intangibles loss in a lot of ways. I, you know, if the one before was kind of an Aiden Hutchinson Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum, offensive line. Okay, they they beat you on football loss. I thought there was just some stuff last year, whether it was the breakdowns in the secondary, which are football, but also are sort of, does everybody have their head on straight to play their best ball? I think there's enough of an intangibles part of this going to South Bend, going to Wisconsin to play Luke Fickle. 
facing Drew Aller, who's an Ohio quarterback in Penn State, and then particularly against Michigan, that I think Ryan Day could have an influence there. That will he, do they have good players? They have good players. Do they have good scheme? They have good scheme. They have the ability. I think this team has the ability. I think we all do. They have the ability to win the national championship. So what's going to determine if they do or not? Well, a lot of it's going to be do individual guys in critical moments make high-level individual plays. Yeah, of course. But I do believe, Nathan, right, I'm just maybe over. Maybe I talk too much about the intangible aspect. But I think a, a decent chunk of this falls on the head coach. And Ryan Day, in this particular circumstance, when you had a good year, but you've had two straight losses to Michigan, and that's a little weird, and you've made some changes. And now what you have to do is get this highly talented collection of players and highly paid good coaches to be at their best when it matters most. And I think the head coach has a lot of influence on that, which I think, Nathan, is how much of like sort of the intangible thing. Because listen, he also has the ability. We talk about it all the time. Like, hey, it's the Ohio State Michigan game. Where's your secret play? Got a secret play. And just because Brian Hartline is the play caller doesn't mean it's not Ryan Day's job to come up with the secret play. Right. I mean, if he comes up with the secret play that frees somebody up for a 38 yard touchdown pass in the fourth quarter and Ryan Day says, I came up with that play when I was uh, at the beach in New Hampshire in June and I doodled it 400 times and then I grabbed Xavier Johnson and he and I would go out in the backfield by ourselves and work on it in September. I didn't even want anyone else on the offense to know it. And then last week, Brian Hartline and I sat down and we started to work it. And that's how Xavier Johnson got open for a 38-year He has that ability, too. There are football things he can do, Nathan. But there's an intangible aspect to me that I think rises him up the rankings. How much was this an intangible thing for you, Nathan? No, absolutely. And I would push back a little bit on the the in-season influence because – there's two things. Number one, you bring up the CJ Stroud example from 2021. You're going to have a first time starting quarterback again this year. Who's going to have some ups and downs. And again, as much as Ryan day delegates certain aspects and even has a quarterback's coach, we all know how important the relationship is directly between him and his quarterbacks. And I think there's going to be some week to week handling that goes on there as you're getting this new quarterback's feet underneath him and and especially because he doesn't get to have the schedule that Justin Fields did in 2019 it's going to be much more like what CJ Stroud did in 2021 which brings me to my next point which is you've either got to keep these plates spinning as well as you have in any regular season so far and go 12 and 0 against the schedule or at some point you're going to have to bounce back from a loss and that's a tough thing to like project at this point but it only emphasizes how mu- how important Ryan Day is going to be as far as making in-season corrections, but also presiding over the tone that gets you through that. And in 2021, that almost happened. It, it didn't because they weren't able to beat Michigan at the end. But I would also say I don't, you know, demoting the defensive coordinator, that was a big answer at the time. I don't know if it fixed the tone, though. I don't know if it really if if that team really built the confidence it needed coming out of that. And we're kind of getting off on tangent here because this is really theoretical. But it's just among the ways that I think his this his influence on this season, with the questions that this team still has on the roster as of this point, really kind of loom as being significant to me. 
that quarterback relationship thing is actually kind of interesting to me because he's not technically the quarterback coach, Corey Dennis is. And if Brian Hartline keeps play calling abilities, then he's not the play caller. So where does he fall in the hierarchy of who needs to have the strongest relationship with the starting quarterback then? When he's not in the room on a day-to-day basis, that's Corey Dennis's job. And then Brian Hartline is going to be the one who's probably having the most conversations with Kyle McCord or Devin Brown if he's calling the plays. So how does that change that dynamic when, you know, obviously I'm not saying that Brian Day's not going to talk to the quarterback at all. That'd be stupid. But does it change the week-to-week, you know, day-to-day conversations and how often he's meeting with the quarterbacks. If one, he's not technically the quarterback's coach, he is the head coach, but also he's not the play caller. So it's not like he's going to Kyle McCord or Devin Brown on a Tuesday and being like, hey, of these 65 plays we called, how many did you like and how many you didn't like? I doubt that his relationship with the quarterbacks will change much. I, I think it is getting him out of the film room where they're talking about mm-hmm. like angles on blocks but when CJ Stroud talked, like CJ Stroud, right, like woke up in the morning and texted Ryan Day every day. And I think yeah. Ryan Day and CJ Stroud talked every day. And mm-hmm. I think that quarterback is still running Ryan Day's offense. And Ryan Day wants to be in that quarterback's head and understand what makes him tick and what makes him comfortable and what makes him uncomfortable and what does he want to try. And certainly Brian Hartline is part of that more. My guess is that's something that you can retain while Brian Hartline still handles the X's and O's a little bit more. So I, I think that stays there, but I, I do think the intangible part of it um, is just a, it for me, when you're coming off two straight Michigan losses and you felt the heat and how do you respond, right? And how do you get your team to respond? They have to play their best game against Michigan and they haven't. They didn't lose last year. They didn't lose to Michigan last year because Michigan was better than them. I think, more so in 21, you could say that. Well, who's better in mm-hmm. 21? It's like, I, you know, yeah. the way they match up with Aiden Hutchinson, I think Michigan's better. I don't think Michigan was better than Ohio State last year. But on that day, Michigan was, okay, can't happen again. Right? That's, that's Ryan Day's number one job to me this year is to get Ohio State to play its best against Michigan. And that is a year-long process. And it is a week-long process. And it is a big-time process on that Saturday. Okay, let's go to who we have number four on this list. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, number four on our list of the most important Buckeyes for 2023 is Josh Fryer. Presumed left tackle, presumed. Steven means you had him ranked highest of any of us, although we all had him very, very high. You had him third. Why do you think Josh Fryer is that important, Steven? Because we put all the other tackles in the one name and purposely left him out on his own name. 
because I'm pretty sure we all think he's a starter. We just don't know what side yet. We think it's left tackle, but he also might be the right tackle. But he's the only we, – we had a whole tackle conversation on the last pod. Go check that out as well. And we didn't mention Josh Fryer. And that shows you just how much more important he is because of the offensive linemen not named Donovan Jackson or Matthew Jones, he's probably the easiest to pencil in as a starter somewhere on this offensive line, which means he's probably the best tackle. As of things stand right now, a lot can change coming out of fall camp. But they need him to be – as I said with the other tackles, they need him to be good, but he probably needs to be a step above that if he's the best that you have on the table, on the board right now, as we've only gone through spring. I had him six. The Texters had him six. Nathan, you had him seventh. Can I just do a little tangent here? You guys have both sort of sprinkled in on these two podcasts, like, well, if Josh Fryer, maybe he's the right tackle, maybe he's not the left tackle. When you say that, who in your head is the left tackle? When you float the possibility that maybe Josh Fryer is the right tackle, do you think that means that George Fitzpatrick beat out Josh Fryer at left tackle? Do you think it means one of the people that we're lumping in at right tackle is now the left tackle? Or do you think maybe it means Donovan Jackson has moved from guard to tackle and is now the left tackle? Just when you sprinkle that, Nathan, it, what did you sprinkle it? It would be one of the latter two things. But I, th- I think the most likely outcome is Josh Fryer starts at left tackle on opening day. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. It's it's more just if Simmons comes in the fall camp and he's maybe intrigues him a little bit to make him try to experiment with some stuff the first couple of weeks, but more than likely Josh Fryer is going to be left tackle. Okay. I'm not sprinkling that because like, I would like to see the, like, the world where Josh Fryer is not the left tackle to me is a very difficult world because like, okay, now, mm. now what? I don't – because my guess would be a world where Josh Fryer is not the left tackle is not a move of strength. It is a move of uh, – mm. uh, it is not – a Dewan Jones is one of our best five. Everybody's right. got to move, right? That mm-hmm. felt like a move from strength. Now, maybe it's George Fitzpatrick came in and blew our doors off. That man spent the summer saying, I'm the starting left tackle at Ohio State. Holy moly, that guy's always been an athlete. Watch out. I'll leave a scooch bit for that. But mostly it's like, okay, like, well, we really thought we were going to do this, and now we can't, and now what? So – that's why I think Fryer is super high because it's not whatever. And fault's not even the right word, Nathan, because fault implies it's gone wrong. That's not fair to do. But it's it's not his doing that he is in this position. But the position that he's in, Nathan, is that he is presumed to be the best tackle in an uncertain bunch. And so – you're at the front of the line, and that means you're higher on the list because we have questions about the whole group. And even if you settle your thing, we still have questions about the other thing, which is why the other thing's still in the top 10 too. But like also, holy moly, I think this again is like, he's top five because what if it doesn't go as they hope? And then all of a sudden, if you're dealing from a position of weakness at left tackle, there's a domino effect. And all of a sudden, it get, it could get really rough, Nathan. And and I shouldn't speak for Steven, but I think the reason we both brought that up is maybe to reinforce that whatever happens at left tackle, we think he's he's still a starter. I think he is still one of their mm-hmm. five best. Uh, to me, it, it's it's so critical because this job of being the starting quarterback for Ohio State and living up to the standard that the whole team has is so hard that if you then add in lack of confidence in what's going on behind you on snap to snap, that is a really tough 
degree of difficulty to add to this job. And I'm not saying that Josh Fryer has to be perfect or even has to be an all Big Ten player, but there has to, they have to be talking with more confidence about the play that they're getting there by the start of the season than they were at the end of the spring. Like they just have to. Like they, if there's still, if there still is that vibe about the the tackle situation at the end of preseason camp, that's I think worrisome, and I think it probably can affect the quarterback play. Even if that's not guys getting home or even the pressure getting through, I think that's just the thing you don't want in the back of your quarterback's head. There, Munford, three years at left tackle, seven through, um, <clears throat> excuse me, through 20, four years, excuse me, seventy one point one in twenty seventeen. 67.5, these are PFF grades, in 2018, 76.9 in 2019. The 2020 grade, I'm not throwing that one in there. It's 91.8. He's not going to be that. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask Josh Fryer to live in the Thayer Munford world. Although that's 76.9 PFF grade. That's uh, Thayer Munford was very – like it's not all American, but Thayer Munford was really good. And Justin Fields' backside was pretty protected unless he was trying to hold on to the ball and throw 60-yard bombs. I think that's a fair place to ask Josh Fryer to be as a left tackle. And I do think we should view this discussion of Josh Fryer as opportunity, not pressure. And let's make a vow. And I think we have followed through on this. I think we did it when he was here, and I think we certainly have done it since he left. We have credited Thayer Munford for what he did as an Ohio State Buckeye. And it wasn't that he had to be a first-round pick or that he had to be an All-American. But they also, at that time, there was some uncertainty on the offensive line. And that guy came in and shut down the uncertainty. And then you said, hey, we don't have to worry about left tackle anymore. And then we'll even move him to guard and it'll be fine. Right? Is there a way? Could we possibly move some pieces around and maybe try to elevate that tackle spot? You could, but you don't have to because it's going to be good enough. And more than good enough, it's going to be good. Maybe it's not All-American, but it's going to be good. So let us vow right now that if Josh Fryer comes out in August or September, right, and we're just like, you know what? Nobody seems worried about it anymore. Left tackle. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. We will note it repeatedly because we are noting the possibility of it being a problem right now, Nathan, repeatedly. And so the, the standard, you can't only talk about things if a guy's an All-American first-round pick or you're wondering if it's going to be a problem. You have to acknowledge good. So we vow because good would be huge. Good left tackle play that you can rely on is game-changing potentially here, Nathan. This is like that's it's, it's kind of about like what we talked about the defense last year. We didn't think it had to be a top-five defense. Just had to be good enough for the things that you're best at to allow you to win. He doesn't have to be the best left tackle in America or in the Big Ten. It just has to not be a problem. So if that's what this guy locks down, can't be like an umpire, right? Oh, if he's doing his job, you don't talk about him. We're going to talk about him. So we vow that to Josh Fryer. So there is opportunity here. We want to make sure a lot of times, Nathan, we talk about the Ohio State standard, right? Kyle McCord doesn't mean you have to be a first-round pick, but Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, it's it's more than good, probably, that we're talking about. It's, left tackle doesn't have to be because the standard at left tackle at Ohio State is not the Paris Johnson standard. That's not it's like, oh, well, it, no, that doesn't have to be that. Paris Johnson rose above the left tackle standard because we talked about they, had, you know, they weren't pumping out first-round left tackles every year. So let's vow to credit Josh Fryer if he's good because it could be a big deal. I think that's fair, but I would also point out that Thayer Munford played 
on offensive lines that were loaded with NFL players. And that remains to be seen if that's true of this Ohio State offensive line. So I think Josh Fryer's job might be tougher uh, in some ways than Thayer Mumford's was through a good portion of his career. 2018 probably accepted, right? Like that was a, a year where things were a little bit haywire on the offensive line and got figured out going into 2019. But, uh, it, it, but the example that you're bringing up kind of factors back into where I had the right tackle just because we've already seen, like in 2019, you didn't have to be Dewan Jones or Nicholas Petit Frere right tackle on what is, I maybe we would say top to bottom the best, still the best team in the Ryan Day era. You could be Brandon Bowen, who was like an NFL training camp guy, had a very solid career, but you didn't have to be next level, but you did have to show up and be reliable and uh, accountable and do your job consistently. And he he was great at that. So that's just, that sounds like a low bar, but at the level Ohio State plays at and the schedule they're going to play this year, it's it's not easy. Is, a, is that a pod? Maybe we've done this spot before, but like how many play? if you had to say how good a, a position group had to be for Ohio State to win a national title, it's like how many groups would we say need to be elite, elite, elite? How many just have to be good? Where can you be average at and be okay? Maybe we've done that before. We've done a lot of these pods. But to, to connect this point, yes, yeah, some of the offensive lines have also had better players. But also I think the offset of that is the skill positions and this group team may be a little bit better than what those teams have for Thera Mumford. So I think it evens itself out. It's like Marvin Harrison Jr. Jr. and Emeka Abuka are going to get open a lot quicker than Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack are. Yeah, no, well said, right? And the, and the idea that everybody around you influences yeah. how good you are and how good you have to be is something that we have to – Make note of. Okay, so Josh Fryer is number four. I will say that numbers two, three, four, and five were practically all tied. So the difference between Ryan Day and Josh Fryer is negligible. And then the difference between them and number three, who is Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, also pretty negligible. Number one is clearly number one. Clearly number one. Two, three, four, five were all lumped together. There was a drop to JT Tuimolowau at six. And then there was another drop to seven, eight, nine that were all kind of lumped together, which was right tackle, Brian Hartline, and Denzel Burke. So here we are, Jim Knowles at number three. Nathan, I'll go to you first because you had Jim Knowles lower than anybody else here. He sort of barely made your top 10, I believe. How did you evaluate Jim Knowles here, Nathan? Yeah, and I understand why people would have him higher. To me, it is, we saw improvement last year. Not enough, but a step in the right direction. You're going to the second year of a system. He has a better perspective on this now. Uh, The team has a better perspective on the system, the players themselves. And I still, when I look at this defense, I still find myself saying, but where where does the difference-making guy step up? more than I think, where does Jim Knowles push the right button? I I still am asking, like, where is that edge rusher that people are fear? Where is that cornerback that takes away a side of the defense? And I know that those are lofty standards, but those are the Ohio State standards as much as uh, great quarterback play is. And just because they've strayed away from it the last few years, I don't think we need to to lower that standard of um, accountability so an expectation. So that that's why I have him a little bit lower. I think there are things that he has to be better at this season, and there are going to be some specific challenges with this schedule, et cetera. 
but I still would put JT Tuomaloao higher. I would still put those cornerbacks higher because I feel like their development, and, and in all those cases, you're talking about a third-year guy, so it goes back to the old Urban Meyer scale of two on us and one on the third years on you, and those are all guys who the time has arrived for them to be difference-making players at a level that they have not yet consistently been in their careers. And I think those are the things that decide how good Ohio State will be this year. More than little schematic wrinkles, more than, or, or, or even if you thought it needs to be big philosophy changes for Jim Knowles. Texters had him second. Steven, you had him second. Why'd you have Jim Knowles that high? Because I wasn't happy with the job he did in games where talent equated, I guess, for lack of a better sense of saying it. And that's the Penn State game, the Michigan game, even the Maryland game. I mean, they Talia kind of had his way a little bit there in a way that was kind of sloppy. And then obviously the Georgia game. It's I agree with Nathan. It's like, where is the players at who are going to be dudes? But even if you've got a team full of dudes, you're eventually going to play some teams where like the coach has got a coach. Even in 2019, the second Wisconsin game, uh, the the Michigan game early on, the Clemson game, there came moments where, like, you got a coach. And I don't think in those games I'm sold on Jim Knowles yet. And so that's why he's so high for me. It's not about, you know, when they're playing Purdue. Well, maybe it's about when they're playing Purdue. But it's about Wisconsin. It's about the Notre Dame game. It's about the Michigan game. It's about the Penn State game. It's about playoff games. I think that's where you prove that you're worth $2 million or paying you to be the defensive coordinator here. And I haven't seen enough moments where it felt like like JT saved him against Penn State. And when the player can't save you, what does the coordinator do in those moments? And I, I need to see more of that from Jim Knowles. Corner blitz called by Jim Knowles on the first yeah. play against Notre Dame. Leads to a 50-yard play that sets up a field goal, I think it was. Defense stiffened and held to a field goal. All-out blitz on third down against J.J. McCarthy. That leads to the first throw. Broken tackle. It's a touchdown for Michigan. And all of a sudden, I think that changes that Michigan game. There are little individual moments. As much as we can point to some of the breakdowns in the secondary that led to easy touchdown throws, Against Michigan and Georgia, there are calls there that the defensive coordinator made. He put some of those guys in some of those situations, right, where it didn't happen. It's like, and, and he takes that responsibility. Hey, I, I didn't have him prepared. I put those guys in that situation. I do think there's a balance. We talked about a lot of he wants to be aggressive, but is he too aggressive? And we thought he pulled back on the aggression a little bit in the Georgia game compared to the Michigan game, and they still got beat deep. Once for an easy touchdown, but they didn't, they didn't have it happen four times, right? So I do, there's, I think there's an ebb and a flow to what he has to do as defensive coordinator in game, find the right level, call the blitz at the right time, but not overdo it, let his players play. And then there's all the schematic stuff that, you know, the thing we talked about all April, because he talked about it all April, as did Ryan Day, like they taught so much last year, do they take away their aggression? And they've got to get these guys to fire. And that there's a lot on Jim Knowles for that. So I do think, Nathan, I think I, I still agree with your point, and we I think we've done that pod, right? Like, what is it more? Is it personnel? Is it scheme? Is you know, I, I do think they've got to find a couple dudes. But I do think there are opportunities where we could point last year. Again, if we did it last year, and I do think, Nathan, the way they've talked about it, hey, year two is just going to be, you know, you get better. And we have proof of Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State. He got better every year. I think if you look backwards, Nathan – to 2022, I think 
especially as like you're coming in, you're changing things. Jim Knowles, if we did this a year ago, Nathan, Jim Knowles might have been number one. Might have been number one for everybody. Mm-hmm. He's the new defensive coordinator who's making two million bucks a year to fix it. But now we've seen it. There's going to be some adjustments, but we have a handle on it, right? Is that I think you already said that, Nathan? It's like the idea that it is year two, and there's there's a little more. It's more of a known quantity. Maybe pushed it him down the list a little bit for you. Exactly, and I still look back at things last year and say. I mean, I think the first play of the year is the best example. Like, yes, he called an aggressive play to open the season, and a guy was there to make the tackle and then didn't. So then it's, does that mean the defensive coordinator shouldn't have called that play? I, there's a debate that can happen there, right? So I'm still I'm still expecting a, and we saw, I think, evidence of it this spring, that the level of skill is rising on this defense. And I'm more intrigued by a still aggressive, for the most part, Jim Knowles, now coordinating, now calling plays for a more skilled, more disciplined, more uh, productive defense, a, a better group of defensive players. That, to me, is is more in, intriguing. I think that the odds of that happening are better than things that he is or does undermining the outcome of the year. Okay, I think like again, we're all in the in the right range here on Knowles. I'm I'm not surprised that he was that high for the Texans, right? I mean, I, th- I think it's a it's a very logical thing, and I think it's it's. I again, I was kind of like in between you guys, Nathan. I think you had him tenth, Stephen. You had him second. I had him seventh. So I'm kind of like in between you guys. All right, number two is my number one. And he's number one for me, and it's Marvin Harrison Jr., because I just think he might fix everything, which is my Justin Fields argument from before of like, oh, what about this? What about that? It's like, I don't know. Marv will fix it. What if the last – I don't know. Then you just throw little bubbles to Marvin. and he breaks tackles and runs. What if we – the play calling? I don't know. So then he's double teamed and he still makes the catch anyway. Well, what if the defense gives up? Okay, then he catches three touchdown passes and you have to win a shootout. Like, I just think he might answer everything. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like there's maybe not a lot of mystery to it, but I think the value of a guy who has a chance to patch every hole and heal every wound makes him the most important player on the team because it is – it is rare talent and rare work ethic combined at a premium position that this team should be able to maximize. And we've talked about maximum Marv, but it's not like Julian Fleming in his wing T offense in high school, Stephen. This is like, oh, what is Marv? A great receiver. What is Ohio State a pass first team? Okay, we're good. Let's do this. Like we see, we know what it's going to look like, but he also has a chance to do it better than anybody has ever done it at this school. And it might can a receiver carry 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 a team to a national title? Probably not. But can he elevate good players to greatness in a way that the tackle stuff that we're all worried about is actually not that big a deal? Because get the ball out quick and let Marv be Marv. The quarterbacks do they have to be Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud? No, because just get it within the vicinity of Marv and he's going to make a play. Does the defense have to be top 10? No, because Marv's unstoppable. I, I think there's a version of that out there, Stephen. So I might be hot here. I had him first. Nathan had him 
third. Steven, you had him seventh. I think we've just said we're seeing the transformation of Steven Means. You're growing, young man. <laughs> You're growing from all receivers all the time into I have Marv seventh. And I'm like, the heck with it. I'm too old for this stuff. Give me Marv number one. Steven, how did you evaluate Marvin on this list? I'm like Heartline, man. I got other responsibilities now. I can't just be worried about my room all the time. I, Marvin Harrison is on like a, a scale for me because I think he's won the first four weeks of the season, especially going into that Notre Dame game where I honestly think, regardless of what's going on, their game plan against Notre Dame is going to be very similar to what it was against Penn State where it's like, I don't know, man, just Marvin run a slant. Let's do that 15 times. You're going to catch 12 of them for 190 yards and two touchdowns. And then we're going to go into the bye week and we're going to come up for air and then see what's what. But also as the season progresses and the quarterback gets comfortable and the offensive line gets comfortable and the running back room isn't spending more time in the trainer's office than they are on the field, other guys get to come along. So I don't want to – his value isn't going to decrease. I just think the gap between – what he can do and what other people can also provide as they gain experience will allow you to not feel like it's Marv or nothing every single week. And I think because he's a wide receiver, that's how I view it. When you were there with Justin Fields in 2020, it was like, well, yeah, he's a quarterback. He's going to test the ball every single play. Of course, Justin fixes everything. Of course, CJ fixes everything. He's a quarterback. I don't know if that's, that's kind of apples or oranges with wide receivers because somebody still has to get them the ball. Um, I think back to 2020 with Devontae Smith. I mean, they got him the ball every which way possible that year. But also, if Mac Jones wasn't a Heisman Trophy finalist that year and that uh, first-round pick as a quarterback, how impactful can Devontae Smith be? So you have to factor all of that stuff into it. So I'm with you. He's a one the first four weeks. But then he might – I think it might be a good thing if he's like number nine by the time we get to the eighth game of the season. Because that means everything else went well. If your best player can be your eighth most important player because all these other places that you're worried about are better or at least as good as you would hope they would be, that's a good thing for Ohio State. I also – I misstated it. I apologize. It's actually, Stephen, you had him fifth. The Texters had him seventh. The disciplined, mm. disciplined Texters who are making themselves vote for offensive linemen. They want to vote for Marv. I had no discipline. I guess maybe I might argue is – did Devontae Smith need to have a Heisman finalist first-round draft pick at quarterback in order to take advantage of his talents? Or did Devontae Smith turn an average guy into a Heisman finalist first-round quarterback? And it's like, okay, that's how much Devontae Smith is number one because yeah. he made Mac Jones yeah. a Heisman finalist. So, uh, you know, lenses, lenses, lenses. Nathan, you're very close. You had Marv third what do you like is can marv solve everything can marv solve everything or is that too much because as steven said he's still a guy who's only going to touch the ball i don't know even if you target him 15 times a game when you're getting 75 offensive snaps there's a lot you have to do that doesn't involve him so i actually think i'm actually I look at him pretty closely the way you do. It's just that it doesn't equate to what Justin Fields was because of what Steven said. Like he, he doesn't touch the ball every play the way a quarterback does. And a quarterback of that talent has an influence over a game that even the greatest receiver does not. So I don't think he fixes everything, but he influences everything, which is why I wouldn't put him 
as low as you know the bottom half of the top 10 because just the gravity that he's going to have on a snap to snap basis how he's going to affect how defenses choose to attack Ohio State how they react to Ohio State if Ohio State follows through as it really looked like they're going to do in the spring and starts moving him around and putting him in the slot and twisting defenses in the knots it it really is going to be a huge security blanket slash uh, confidence booster slash however you want to say it for whichever quarterback wins this job. Uh, it, it, you could argue that Ohio State finding ways to maximize Harrison is what makes is going to end up making the quarterback decision look good more than the other way around. So that's why I would still have him very high because you he is just the the a a player whose talents are proven uniquely at at this level in this stratosphere and he's going to be the biggest focus for every team that Ohio State plays all year I, I took the two jet sweeps out of his touches because whatever 6.4 touches per game last year it's probably a good over under of what he might be this year um, maybe he's closer to seven though per game just because he's Marvin Harrison Jr. But I don't seven touches. Me- Mecca might get it seven times a game too. So you know what I'm saying? So like the you how they use him, it still might end up being the same totality with him and Mecca. And I think that's part of my my thought process here. I don't think it's so much like with Jackson. We were living in a world where it's like Jackson might get it twelve times a game because they might use him a million different ways. With Marvin, it's like are they going to motion him into the slot or are they just going to let him be out there one on one and kill? cornerbacks all game but i also think it's possible that he has a a huge impact on the offense he has the bigger impact on the offense when he's not touching the ball than any other skill player because of that gravity because of what does what is the defense doing is it overcompensating to make sure he doesn't get the ball and that's opening up something else i think that's a more a greater likelihood of that happening with marvin than any other player and and i do think they just planned all offseason last year to get Jackson the ball and then Jackson vanished. And then obviously they found ways to focus on Marv, but they have, they have an entire off season to get Marv mm-hmm. ready and to find unique ways to get him the ball. And again, that we saw that in the national title game in 06, you take Ted Ginn jr. Off the field and it changes everything. Like you take Marvin up. We saw it last year. You take Marvin off the field against Georgia. It changes everything both, both for him and for everybody else, because now every, the focus is can go to other people because when Marv's on the field, the focus has to be on him. It's a little bit of the Mac Jones argument for me. I put Marvin higher than the quarterbacks because I think he's so important. He has a chance to make whoever is the quarterback look pretty good. So then if we look back and say, hey, the quarterback was pretty good, would we say, and that's why the quarterbacks should be number one? Because, look, the quarterbacks were good and Ohio State was good? Or would I look back and say, and that's why Marv was number one to me, because Marv elevated that person. So it's not – I mean, is it worth having an argument about which it is? It's it's it together. And is it 51-49 one way or 51-49 the other? You have to – if he's open by three yards and you miss him, then he can't elevate you. So I did think – what we saw in practice, there would be times when nobody was getting open, and then all of a sudden Marv got open. It's like, okay, well, it's Devin Brown and Kyle McCord just looked a lot better because they threw it to Marv. And even in the spring game, the two series he played, he got open. 
even when the defense knew it, they know it's Marv. Now they can't throw blitzes at you and stuff, so it's kind of vanilla defense. But still, Marv got open against the defenses who know him the best because he just has the ability to do it and then throw it in his vicinity. And okay, here we go. Go ahead, Steve. I do wonder. I think you're right. I mean, I think we just live there now, though. And it feels like there does come a moment when that flips because we were here with CJ in 21 where it's like, is CJ this good or just Chris Garrett Jackson is awesome? You know, and then in year two, it's like CJ is really this good, but also Marvin Harrison. Wow. Mechabuka. Wow. So th- does that ever flip? I think the first couple of weeks we are, if Kyle McCord or Devin Brown comes out and they're awesome, we're going to probably chalk a lot of that up to Marvin Harrison Jr. being Marvin Harrison Jr. But there does come a point in the year where I feel like that should flip, even if Marv is still Marv, where we're crediting it just as much as the quarterback being elite as it is about what the wide receivers and the weapons are going to be here. Cause it does feel like this is the cycle we're on now. If you're a first year starting quarterback, we credit the weapons more. If you're a second year starting quarterback, we'll probably co- credit the quarterback more, even if the wide receivers are just as awesome. I also look at a world where he had 77 catches last year, which was 18th in the nation. And I see Charlie Jones at Purdue had 110. I see Xavier Hutchinson at Iowa state had 107. I see Josh Downs at North Carolina had 94. I see, Jalen McMillan at Washington had 79, and I think 77 is not enough. Like, they got to get, they got it. They got to get him. They got to mm. get him. So. Yes, but also, yeah. I think Ohio State's, Ohio State's going to be in more blowouts than those teams are probably going to be in. So you got to, like, like the Rutgers and Wisconsin games where you're up by so much at halftime that, you know, Marvin only had three catches in each of those games. Like, I don't know how many times Downs was in games where it's like at halftime. He's chilling on the sidelines. So I, I don't. Marvin's raw numbers, I don't think, are ever going to match what he is as a talent. Just because you got to factor in there's six games a year where, by halftime, by at least midway through the third quarter, he's a, he's a spectator. Okay, do you think people can guess who is number one? Ooh, I wonder. Is it the kicker? Next on Buckeye Talk. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. I took the kicker off the list. I had it on my original list of the 20 that I was going to send to the tech subscribers. And then we took the kicker off and put on Justin Fry. And we were going to put kicker. We we're going to go position again because we don't know exactly who it's going to be. And I don't know if I regret that or not. The kicker is not number one. But Nathan, I was thinking about this as, as uh, Jake Seibert, one-time kicker at Ohio State, announced his transfer to Northern Illinois. And... I was just thinking about Jake Seibert's path, and this is not blame. This is just how things happen. They didn't develop him the right way. This guy was like the best kicker in high school and did not become that at Ohio State. This is more an Ohio State discussion than it is a Jake Seibert discussion. If they had developed the best high school kicker in the country into the next Mike Nugent, they might be national champs right now. And that's not to blame Noah Ruggles. But no Ruggles was just some guy at Duke that they had to get in the transfer portal because they didn't develop North the guy Carolina. they recruited, who was North Carolina. North Carolina. Who was a big time who was a big time recruit. 
who was the guy who was from Duke? The guy before that was from Duke. Because they've been in the portal for kickers for like eight years. Who was the kicker for who was the kicker before? Uh, I don't care. Blake Hobby was a kicker. So, before that. He was, a, Blake he was an Ohio State recruit. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not Googling Duke kicker. I refuse to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think it rises to the level of a buckeye fly effect. But it's like, oh, what happened? It's like, well, you had the best high school kicker in the country on your roster as a veteran, and he wasn't your kicker. And then you didn't make a 50-yarder with the season on the line. So it's not about blame, but it's about opportunity. And Mike Nugent was a game-changer, baby. What if Mike Nugent doesn't make the 52-yarder? What, to beat, what, Marshall, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Mike Nugent won games for them. Mike, If Mike Nugent is Ohio State's kicker, in 2022, instead of 2002, they might be national champs in 2022 and not national champs in 2002. If Mike Nugent is born in a different generation. So should the kicker be in our top 20? I'm just saying it's not about it's a, it's about what a program does. It's about the standard you have. It's about the way you develop talent that you can rely on. And it's about when you have to go search for talent because the development at home doesn't happen. So I was just thinking about it. So I hope that doesn't make anybody sad. But like, sh- should the standard for the, should the Ohio State standard for kicker be Mike Nugent? No, I don't think that's fair. Michigan also just had its punter and kicker drafted. Jake Moody showed up at Michigan as a walk-on. And just got drafted. If Jake Moody was Ohio State's kicker, and listen, no Ruggles has a tree. He was an All-American the year before, but he was, he's, probably, he's not Jake Moody. Jake Moody's Ohio State's kicker. Are they national champs? I'm just saying. So, you know, it's not fun to rank kickers. So we didn't have kickers in the top 20, and kicker is not number one. But I was just thinking, because they had the guy they thought would be that guy, and then it didn't happen. And it's certainly not only about that guy. It's about Ohio State's ability to bring the best out of young players. So think on that. First is quarterbacks. First is quarterbacks. Quarterbacks over, over, overwhelming. Quarterbacks uh, were, let's see, first for the Texters, first for Stephen Means, second for Nathan Baird behind Ryan Day, and third for me behind Marvin Harrison Jr. and Brian Hartline. Steven, why did you put the quarterbacks as the most important players for Ohio State this year? We talked about it with other positions. And can you just be good? Can like Josh Fryer just be like Thayer Munford level good? Um, can, where can you be average? The quarterback needs to be a Heisman Trophy level player and an NFL first round level player. That's where we're at here. We're three years, we're three quarterbacks in, and that's the standard. It's a high standard. Maybe it's a little bit unrealistic to ask somebody to do that, but that's where we're at with this position. If the quarterback is not that, he didn't have to be that week one, but if he is not headed in that direction by the end of the season where it's like, is he going to New York and is he going to be a first-round draft pick one day, this team is not going to compete for a national championship. Mike Nugent beat Marshall in 04, not 02, for people who are screaming at their phones. That was a lot of time spent on kickers. A lot more than I thought we were going to be spending. Yeah. And I believe I just you were like referring people to thinking, Jack what? Willoughby. Jack Willoughby. You did Google Duke Kicker. Of course I did. Let's go. Oh, let's go in your search history. Wow. There is a lot of Duke Kicker in your search history, Nathan. Be careful. Duke Kicker, Ohio State. I had to narrow it down. Yeah, Jack Willoughby. So 
I guess that contention, right? What if their quarterback Stetson Bennett? Now, I'm not saying Ohio State's defense is Georgia's defense. But what if Ohio State's quarterback is more like a good, solid, don't-make-a-bunch-of-mistakes, fourth-round pick kind of guy? Can they not win the national championship this year? Steven, you say they cannot. No. No. Okay. Nathan, what do you think? If they get Stetson Bennett-level play, could they win the national championship? Uh, Yes. I think they could if the rest of the offense doesn't have some of the potential pitfalls that we're seeing. I think that's a big if, but like, like Max Duggan, like, I guess he was a Heisman finalist. That's, that's not a good comparison, but like, well, but, you know, but, 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 listen, but so is Stetson Bennett. So is Stetson Bennett. Heisman mm. finalist is you are a quarterback for a team that succeeds. Yeah. NFL right. draft is what are your yes. skills? Max Duggan yes. was a seventh right. round pick. Right. So that's why so, I brought him so up. Like, so I, yeah. I, I yeah. don't think you have to be – I don't think these guys have to get to the end of this year and look like finished – whoever wins the job, finished NFL prospect project. Although Common Cord will be obviously in that position. He'll be draftable, and if it's him. But, like, C.J. Stroud didn't get to the end of his first year as a starter. And, yes, he was a Heisman finalist, but there were things he still had to prove in his, his next year, I think, to, to rise to the level that he had. So – I it's not to me about that sort of exterior standard. It's about the interior standard of, are you just, are you efficient? Are you, um, do you understand the offense and, and are you executing it snap per snap and, 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 and avoiding mistakes enough to maximize the weapons that are there? Because while there's question as to who the quarterback will be and what level they will play at, there really isn't question about Marvin Harrison Jr. There isn't question about Emeka Abuka. There, at the end of the day, I don't even know if there's question about the ability of the running backs when healthy. So the the and Kate Stover. So the skill position production, I think, is the baseline is very 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 high. Now it's just a matter of does the quarterback come in. And keep that thing going. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that you have to be a game manager, but I also don't think you have to necessarily carry the offense on your back, especially early on. Uh, I don't know. TJ was, unless he fell off a cliff last year, his pretty foregone conclusion, he was probably going to be a first round draft pick once he went to the NFL. I, I just, some, this, there has to be special. It, there has to be special. And what allowed Stetson Bennett to be what he was, the defense was special. TCU was in the Big 12, whatever. Georgia's defense the last two years has been ridiculously special. So because that's so special, he doesn't have to be. He just has to have little sparks of it every so often. C.J. Stroud had to be special. When he was special, that's when this team was at its best. Justin Fields had to be special. When he was special, that's when they were at their best. This team, this program has been built around the idea that the quarterbacks and the wide receivers are special. Every year. That's how they win with Ryan Day. Special quarterback, special receiver. We don't know. We think we have some dudes on defense. We think we have some guys who might be able to be something. But that's not where the standard has been the past five years that it's guaranteed to have special on defense. We've seen guaranteed special at quarterback and wide receiver. Those two spots, if they're not special, Ohio State's not winning a national title because that's the way they've built this program under Ryan Day. So Ohio State's had – the Big Ten quarterback of the year, the whatever name of it is, 
10 of the last 11 years. They started the award in 2011. And in 2011, did Ohio State have a quarterback in 2011? Like 2011 was a mess. They so Russell been. Wilson, <laughs> Russell Wilson won it in 2011. So then Ohio State's won it every year since then, except 2015 when Ohio State had two quarterbacks and couldn't figure out which one to play and Connor Cook won. But if they had decided to play either JT Barrett or Cardell Jones, that guy probably would have won, but they basically took themselves out of the running by playing both. So what if at the end of the year, when we would look at our ballot, if we had ballots and we were saying, man, how do I vote for this greasy quarterback award? I think my top three in the Big Ten, I think I'm going to vote J.J. McCarthy one, Tanner Mordecai from Wisconsin two, and Drew Aller three. But it's not. But the Ohio State quarterback's been fine. I just think I'd take those three guys more over them. And it's going to be hard because a lot of these things are statistical cases. So I am envisioning a world where Marv got his, Emeka got his, Cade got his, Julian got his. But when you watch the quarterbacks play, you really kind of thought it was more about those guys than it was about the quarterbacks. If there was a lot of short passes, it was times when the ball was behind a guy but they made a great catch. It was times when it was like the dude was wide open by 20 yards and 80 quarterbacks in the country could have made that throw. But that you honestly looked and said, I don't think Ohio State has one of the three best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, which would be a sea change from the past decade. Could we still be talking about a playoff team? I think we could. I think we could. Now, if it's terrible quarterback play, then no. But if it's fine pretty good missed some throws but got the ball to the guy and then that also includes now everything else has got to step up got to be run game there yep trey and mine got to eat yep got to be part of that defense good oh jt did his thing yep jt did his thing oh matt that pick by denzel burke that was huge right sunny styles holy guacamole right you're asking more of everybody else but i think i would I think I put the quarterbacks third because I just think Marv can solve problems and man, they better make sure that the play calling on offense is still really good, which is why I have Brian Hartline second. Because if Marv is solving problems and the play calling is still good, I think the quarterbacks could just be pretty good and not spectacular, not the best in the Big Ten, not first round quality. And Nathan, I still think Ohio State could be a playoff national championship caliber team in that scenario, Nathan. So there's an interesting thing if you look back through the years under Ryan Day. And I mentioned this on a podcast we did a couple weeks ago. Um, I'll spell it out a little bit more in detail here. When you're comparing the Ohio State quarterback and QB rating to the rest of the Big Ten. Last year, C.J. Uh, Stroud had a 23-point edge on number two. That was J.J. McCarthy. 2021, he had a... 28 point edge on Aiden O'Connell. So you're talking about elite versus like, okay, they're good, but like it's kind of the rest of the pack, the top of the rest of the pack. But the Ohio State number is always elite. 2020, Justin Fields had a 37 point lead in QB rating over Talia Tagovailoa. So again, that elite. But then in 2019, Justin Fields' number was still elite, 181, but he only had, it was less than a three point edge over the number two quarterback. Do you remember who that was? In 2019, was it Bob Green? 2019. I don't know. Not that far back. Tanner Morgan from Minnesota. Now, what did Minnesota have in 2019? They had like a couple of future NFL uh, receivers. 
they um i guess ibrahim would have would he have been there already running around the backfield i, I don't think remember. It was somebody else um, yeah. Yeah, i think it was i think it was but um they have some good offensive linemen but they weren't like i don't think up for the more award or anything that year and like you know what i mean like could could what could mccord slash brown look like 2019 tanner morgan where you still actually have a pretty great i mean it was a it was a qb rating of 178.70 justin fields was 181.43 and then there was a big drop down to uh captain noodle arm jack cone like that's kind of i guess what could still happen i think it's what you're talking about doug where like all the weapons are there and now it's a matter of how efficiently do you perform within that. i mean tanner morgan had a had a had 10.2 yards per attempt. Justin Fields was 9.2. Like, that's the thing you don't see in the Big Ten. Like, it's usually the Ohio State guy with a big lead in yards per attempt and then a fall down to, like, you know, I don't know, eight. The Michael Penix-type production. Like, I could see what you're talking about happening with whoever wins this job as, like, the transition maybe up to them, you know, again, fulfilling that development in a second year as a starter. We're having a – we're flirting with a good, not great conversation with the quarterbacks and – and CJ Stroud was good, not great. Ohio State lost games, but that Tanner, yeah, that no. Minnesota team won eleven games, and the rest of that roster was not Ohio State level. Well, and that's cool. So, but they they lost games with a terrible defense. So if, if you're saying they lost games, right? So they lost mm-hmm. games in 2021 mm-hmm. with they lost so bad against Oregon that the guy in charge of the defense lost his job. Yeah. So that's one thing, and then. Losing to Michigan, Michigan in 21 had a really good defense. And and also a de- like an Ohio State defense that couldn't stop the Michigan run game. And then last year, they blew it in the secondary. They didn't lose the game because of C.J. Stroud. They blew it because they couldn't cover any because the secondary let dudes run wide open. So I, I understand. So, Stephen, part of it is the belief of, well – so you're telling us, I, I, like you would be saying, Doug and Nathan, you're telling me that the quarterbacks aren't going to be that good, but yet Marvin and Emeka are still going to go crazy and lead the offense? Yeah. Like, how is that possible? The yeah. quarterback has to reach a certain level to make that happen. And then if if that does happen, it means the quarterback has performed in a way that makes them the most important person on the roster because they were good enough to let Marvin and Emeka be great. Yes, yes. And even with the Oregon point, defense was bad. The offense scored 28 points. That's not, that's not what they do here. But, yes, we're talking – Marvin and Emeka, it's, it's, no, it's, re- it's really Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave coming into 21. Two best receivers in the country. How much does that matter if nobody can get them the ball? Those two guys can only be as good as these quarterbacks are. And it's the way they set this team up. And so it's, it's, it's hard for me to envision this world where it's like – Oh, Marvin's going to have this crazy elite year if he's getting overthrown by five yards all the time. Like, he can only be so awesome, man. You can't ask him to be awesome every play. There's got to be some routine level in this. And I'm not saying that, you know, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown have to come out here and throw for 4,500 yards and 50 touchdowns, but we can't go from what we've seen from the quarterback position the last five seasons now to all of a sudden we're in a world where it's like they're throwing 30 touchdowns and – 3,100 yards, that's that's just not going to cut it. I don't have that much I don't have that much faith in other elements of this team yet to live in that world where the quarterback can be good and not great. So to Nathan's point, Tyler Johnson 
for Minnesota in 2019. 86 catches, 1,318 yards. I think it was a fifth-round pick by Tampa Bay. Rashad Bateman, 60 catches, 1,219 yards. A couple years later, first-round pick for the Baltimore Ravens. And then when those guys were gone, Tanner Morgan wasn't as good. So, like, the proof is, like, that wasn't about how good Tanner Morgan was. That was about he had sort of like too many versions of Marv, and they elevated him. And then when they left, he came down. But nobody thought Tanner Morgan, right? If you said, who's the most important person on 2019 Minnesota? I don't think you'd say Tanner Morgan. I think you'd say Tyler Johnson or Rashad Bates. Rodney Smith was their number one running back that year. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd say P.J. Fleck. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd say they had Antoine Winfield on that team who went on to be a second-round pick and was awesome. Right, So Tanner Morgan was productive statistically, allowed the offense to be really good. I don't know. Is he in the top five of most important players on that team? If you if you did 2020 Alabama and you ran through that team and you did Devontae Smith and you did Najee Harris and you did what Evan Neal and you did defensive mm-hmm. guys, where's Mac Jones on a list of the most important tides? Tides? What do they call them? Crimsoners? Crimson Tiders? What do you say? Who's the most important tide? And I'll, I'll have to ask the AL.com. Sabanites. Where would say like? And then you you talk about Nick Saban. You talk about the assistants on that list. Where would Mac Jones be on that list? If you did 2014 Ohio State and Stephen, this might be apples and oranges because Ohio it's the same uniform. It's a completely different program from right. 2014. But you do that national championship team. Where do you put JT Barrett slash Cardale Jones? Let's let's do quarterbacks as a group. Where do you rank them compared to Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas and Vaughn Bell and Joey Bosa and Darren Lee and Chris Ash and Tom Herman, right? I just, so that's what I'm envisioning. Now, it's like, oh, you mean like, so so show me Joey Bosa. So show me Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott. So show me, show me like all the other things, Stephen, <laughs> that must be in place for you to be able to say our quarterback is our fourth, our fifth, our seventh most important player, and we still won the national championship because I'll show you Devonta Smith. I'll show you Najee Harris. I'll show you everybody else. And you're saying you don't see that right now with this Ohio State team. And I think maybe Nathan and I are saying, listen, we're splitting hairs a little bit. It's like are the, are the, are the quarterbacks one or are they three? But I'm putting – I'm I'm seeing it a little bit with Marv. We already had the JT conversation. We had a Denzel Burke conversation, right, Stephen? That if all those things, Travion, all those things, Jim Knowles is worth the money. Brian Hartline settles in. All things rise up, and so your quarterback can be seventh, and you can win a national title. You're not going there in May. No, that could you envision going there? If we did this again in October, if we've seen some other things rise up, or would you still believe, man, the way this program is structured, the guy at the controls, he's always number one, man, because it makes everything go. I think I can get as low as three. And it is, it's a combination of just like all that stuff. Show me Joey Bosa. Show me a Jeff Okuda. Show me Chase, Show me all those things. But also, it's 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 just the standard and and the way that they talk about this program in itself. Like I don't, Justin Fields probably was five in twenty nineteen. If we're gonna be, if we really start thinking about it, but in May, Doug and I, we're not saying Justin Fields is five in May of twenty nineteen. You say that once you, that's something you can't. I can't do that in May. That's too far out of a ledge when you haven't seen yet. 
anything that shows you otherwise, you could make now maybe Chase, you could say Chase is number one, but other than that, it's a lot of new. In October, I could see Kyle McCord or Devin Brown being seven, and I think that would be amazing for this team. And then we're probably in the territory of this is gonna get really boring, guys. They're gonna win a national title. In May, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that when they haven't even picked a quarterback yet. And the things we do know, we know they might be something, but they haven't necessarily reached that level yet. No. Nathan, are we couching this the right way as we wrap this up? And if, if we are considering this, this is the Tanner Morgan, Mac Jones, JT Barrett corollary. Can the Ohio State quarterback be more like that and a little less – like Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, CJ Stroud, and win a national championship. Like, is this is this a worthwhile discussion? Do you think people understand what we're talking about? Because the hard thing about this is statistically, there's a there's a level that the quarterback has to get to because the offense has to be functioning. You know, like like we said, Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson both put up more than 1,200 yards. Like, if they're not gaining a lot of yards catching the ball, that Minnesota team's not going to win 11 games, right, Nathan? But does it mean that Tanner Morgan is a future first-round pick in the NFL? No, it never meant that. And I think people in Minnesota would have told you that in the moment, right? Just because Ohio State won a national championship, I don't know that anybody ever thought, well, that JT Barrett, that guy's an NFL quarterback. Don't go back on old podcasts to double-check that. Sometimes you get swept up in the moment. But, like, like, <laughs> like just be... There's a guy, there was a guy who was like a hot quarterback coach for a while from Youngstown. And I think like he worked with JT and I can remember asking him at the combine, like the year before JT would have come out. And I was like, what do you think about JT better as the, as the NFL quarterback? And he's like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I think you work for him, but I also might've written it. I hope I didn't write it. Cause it's like, okay, come on. JT's a great guy. Come on, Nathan, are we having the right kind of discussion here as we're deciding how much the Kyle McCord Devin Brown winner has to be like Stroud Fields versus how much they could be like Jones Barrett Morgan. Yes, it's the right conversation, but it has to be in that context that you mentioned before that it's not about, we're not talking about he only has to be as good as Tanner Morgan. We're saying that the performance of the offense, the performance of the quarterback has to be that level. I brought that up before because, and I don't want to get too wonky into the stats, but every year, there's the Ohio State quarterback ranking, which is up in the 170s, 180s. And then there's number two in the Big Ten is down the 150s, except 2019. Tanner Morgan was up there and Mac Jones was up there. You can say what you want about him now, but like his statistical numbers that year, his efficiency, those sort of things, the explosive efficiency. I was in the term I always used with Justin Fields. And that is in, in a way become the hallmark of quarterback play for Ohio State. It's huge numbers, but it's coming without the the pitfalls of the turnovers. It's coming in a very high completion percentage. So that still has to be there, whatever it looks like. And if it's because this guy shows the skills to sort of do that on his own, I think that's one thing. If it's just him orchestrating an offense that takes him to that level, I think that's also that also works. It's about the offense as a whole with these weapons executing to that level. I don't necessarily think it has to be the guy in a vacuum um, because what Steven's saying about something has to be special as we've seen special doesn't necessarily mean arm talent. Special doesn't necessarily mean leg talent for sure. It can be any number of things, whatever gets you to that production at the end of the day, but it's got to be that level of production. It can't be, I'm not saying other years of Tanner Morgan where you recede back into 
the noodle arms of the Big Ten. You still have to, the, the production has to be up at the Ohio State level. That's our top 10. Number one, the quarterbacks. And again, we just we just lump Kyle McCord and Devin Brown together because if you're trying to splice them, what you're really talking about is, will the level of play at that position be what is necessary? And how important is it to the team? So it's the level of, that's why we lump those two guys together. Number one, quarterback. Number two, Marvin Harrison Jr. Number three, Jim Knowles. Number four, Josh Fryer. Number five, Ryan Day. And on the previous podcast, number six, JT Tuimolowau. Number seven, the right tackles. Number eight, Brian Hartline. Number nine, Denzel Burke. And number 10, Justin Fry. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your Ohio State experience. We'll be back. More pods coming for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.